Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Like I said earlier, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, maybe you already have then. Paul starts out here in verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive uh, the grace of God in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul here is quoting from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8. And so what Paul is using this as a, as a messenger, what he's trying to get across is that now is the acceptable time to call out to the Lord. In fact, now is the day of salvation. In other words, there is a window of opportunity right now for the believer. And we don't know how, how wide that window is. We don't know when that window will be shut, but that's why the Bible says now is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time to call out to the Lord. So there's a window of opportunity for the unbeliever. But this chapter is addressed to believers. And there's also a window of opportunity for the believer, for you and I as well. Paul says, do not, we plead with you, not to receive the grace of God in vain. Well, that's an interesting statement that Paul makes because the Corinthians, the church of Corinth, they are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They had received God's grace. So how could they receive God's grace in vain? Well, the word grace means fruitless or without usefulness. And I want to draw your attention back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which we looked at last week. Verse 20, Paul says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We, last week we talked about the fact that we as believers have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors. Now an ambassador, they don't select, they don't say, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to be an ambassador. Ambassadors are appointed. You don't choose your commission as an ambassador. They are sent out with a mission and the mission is to represent their king or their president or their government, whatever, whatever it is that, that's being, they're sent out by. And so when we get to chapter 6 here, and there's an interesting thing I want to draw your attention to. I don't know what translation you might be reading uh, of, of uh, the Bible. I'm reading out of the New King James. In verse 1, there's some italicized words in the verse. And when you come across italicized words in the Bible, what that means it basically is that that's not in the original manuscripts. That is inferred by the translators. And so if you were to actually look at the way it is written um, without the italics there, he basically says, we then, workers together, also plead with you, and you's not even there, not to receive the grace of God in vain. We then, workers together, so Paul is speaking to the believers there in Corinth. 
Now, I don't know if you've heard this term before, but shepherds do not reproduce sheep. I don't know if you've realized that or not. Um, sheep reproduce sheep. And the reason why I say that is because sometimes people think, well, that's the job of the pastor or the job of the evangelist or the job of the missionary to go out and be an ambassador for Christ. But what Paul is saying here is that we are all ambassadors for Christ. We are workers together. And so he says, we then workers together do not receive the grace of God in vain. Now, if you've studied your Bible, if you're a believer, you know grace is something you can't earn. You can't work for your grace, right? It's freely given. But the issue that Paul is trying to draw out here is when grace is not worked out in your life, that's in a sense when it has been received in vain. Paul was very keen to the danger of receiving the grace of God in vain. Back in 1 Corinthians, he writes, he mentions this a few times. In chapter 3, verse 10, he says, According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. In other words, the grace of God. You know, I was given the grace of God, so I'm going to do something with it, is what he's saying there. In chapter 9, of 1 Corinthians, verse 26. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Paul wanted to make his life count, and everything that he did, he wanted to have an impact on what he did, and that's because of the grace within him. And then in chapter 15, verse 10, Paul says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. It was not useless, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. We just sang that just a few minutes ago. So there's a window of opportunity for the unbeliever. Uh, there's a time when they are to receive the grace of God, and that time is now. That time is today. Maybe you're watching the program right now and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you that now is the day, today's the day to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. So there's a window of opportunity for the unbeliever, but that same window of opportunity is what's open for you and I as the believers to minister as Christ's ambassadors. Now, when I mentioned that the translators added those words that are italicized in verse 1, I don't think that they're wrong in adding those words where it says workers together with him. And the reason why I say I don't believe that's wrong is because we don't produce anything for God through our work. It's we partner with God working through us. So in this chapter, Paul now brings up three points, and that is, how do we display ourselves through ministry? We'll talk about that. What can discourage us in ministry? You might say, ministers don't ever get discouraged. Well, we'll find out what can discourage us in ministry, and then finally, what can distract us from ministry? We'll be looking at that in the rest of this chapter. So first of all, how we display or exhibit ourselves through ministry. Verse 3. We give no offense 
in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. What Paul is saying there is we don't want to be the reason someone rejects the gospel. We don't want to be the stumbling block. Somebody looks at us and goes, man, if that's what Christians are like, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Now, having said that, that is a common thing that unbelievers will say to believers. Oh, the church is just full of hypocrites. You know, they'll call you or they'll call me a hypocrite. The point is, we don't want them to be rightly accusing us of hypocrisy, right? We don't want to be, I mean, they might, they'll probably say it anyways, but we don't want to give them fodder for it. We don't want to be the reason or, or for them to be rightly accusing us of hypocrisy. Not only do we not want to be a stumbling block to someone coming to faith in Christ, but we also want to display ourselves as genuine ambassadors for Christ in what we endure, by how we conduct ourselves, and in spite of external appearances and that's what Paul will address next so in what we endure endure look at verses 4 and 5 but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience in tribulations in needs in distresses in stripes in imprisonments in tumults in labors in sleeplessness in fastings you know Paul as he's saying these things that we endure, Paul is not making some hypothetical, you know, things, oh, Christians might endure this or that. There's a story behind each one of these things that Paul is mentioning in his life. And, you know, if you think about it, if you look at your own life, there's an echo of that in our own lives, right? We can identify with some of this. And so Paul says there, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. And the first thing he mentions there, in much patience. I wish he would have just said in patience, but he says in much patience. That's as, as opposed to not much patience, right? Little patience. Um, and that's something that, you know, we struggle with. I know I struggle with being patient in, in much situations, in, in, in many situations and long suffering. And so Paul says we endure. That's what shows our ministry genuine and in, in how patient we are And then he says, in tribulations. Now that comes from a root word that means to crowd or to narrow. You you might think of it like being in dire straits. You're squeezed, you're pressured in. That's what that word really means. It's pressure or trouble. And then he says, in needs. Now the first thing when I look at when I look at that and I think of needs, I think of needs versus wants, right? There's something that I that I need. I need food each day. Well, maybe not every day. Look at my body. I don't need food every day. But you know, that's my mind tells me anyway. I gotta eat. I gotta eat. So I, I, that's a need, right? Well, we do eventually. We all have to eat. So we, that's a need. A want is maybe, hey, I want a new coat or something like that, or you know, a new pair of shoes or something. That's my, at first glance, that's what I think Paul's talking about. But that word actually means uh, necessity or compelling force as opposed to willingness. And so, although I think it also applies to needs, you know, there, you know, there are things in, when you're in ministry, you might be in need of certain things. But it can also mean things that you just have to do. And one thing I've learned as a pastor, there's things you just got to do. It goes with the territory of, of being a pastor. If I could just study the Bible, 
be left alone, study the Bible, show up here on Sunday mornings and preach a sermon and go home and do it all over again, man, I would have an easy life. That would be great. But, that, but there's things that are necessary sometimes. Sometimes it's necessary to go visit someone in a hospital. You can't do it right now because of COVID-19, but you know, before that, there'll be times you get a call, you get to go. Sometimes it's necessary to talk to a brother or sister that's walking in sin. Hey, brother, I, I see this in your life, and you know, let's talk about it. There are things that are necessary, and so I think that could also be what Paul is referring to. He mentions in distresses. Now, that word is very similar to tribulations. It means literally means to be in a narrow, tight place. But where tribulations, I believe, talks about external distress, things that are, things that are squeezing in on us, things that are causing problems in our lives, trials and tribulations, distresses is that internal pressure that we feel. And it might be from the external pressures. It's anguish or discomfort. You know, you get into a situation where things are very difficult. Are you going to endure that? Or is that, is that what's like, that's the thing. That's, if that happens, I'm out of here. He mentions in stripes. And that doesn't mean clothing. Stripes, it means a stroke, a blow, or a wound, or an injury. And for Paul, again, these aren't hypothetical things. Paul was beaten many times. He was whipped, which was also known in those days of being scourged. And some Christians, likewise, are physically wounded for their faith. My mind right away goes back to uh, Richard Wormbrand, who was tortured for Christ in Romanian communist prisons, physically beaten day in and day out. And there are believers today throughout the world that are physically suffering for Christ. But you know, sometimes people are wounded, you know, in other ways, someone's, through someone's words or someone's actions. And, and so you can be wounded in ministry by what people do or what people say. So Paul says, even in those things we endure, in those stripes, in imprisonments and tumults, now, that's not a word we use too often, tumults. Um, you might be familiar with the terms tumultuous relationship or a tumultuous marriage. What does that mean? That means instability or a state of disorder or confusion or disturbance. And so Paul says we, we deal with things that are, you know, disorder. We deal, with, we deal with things that are confusing, that are not stable. One day things are going well, another day, th- you know, it's just like it's, you're on a seesaw or something. Paul says we endure through those. Sleeplessness. Now, in the King James Version, the word is watchings. And being a military guy, I'm familiar with watches, not the ones you wear on your watch or on your wrist, but standing a watch. That means you're, 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 you go through and typically it'd be four hours. You spend four hours awake at a night if that's your watch and you're watching, you're, you're guarding, you're, you're doing whatever your job is, you're doing that. And so it literally means sleeplessness and it's translated in the New King James as sleeplessness. Now maybe as a, as a person you're ministering to someone, maybe you're having sleeplessness because you're in, you know, have concern for them or uh, you know, maybe you're in anguish, or maybe the Lord wakes you up and you're praying for someone because it just, it's just heavy on your heart. That, that could be the sleeplessness that Paul is addressing, and I'm certain that he dealt with that. Dealt with that. But it could just be plain old sleeplessness. 
Because one thing that I've learned in ministry, it's rarely just nine to five. Ministry is rarely conveniently scheduled. Quite often, ministry creeps up at a time when you're ready to relax and, you know, it's like, okay, I'm off the clock. No, you're not off the clock. You know, phone call or something happened. You're needed for some reason. And so Paul says we endure through sleeplessness. Fastings, that could be voluntary. It could also be perhaps involuntary. You just, you're ministering and there's just no money, no food. You know, you're, you're just, but you keep enduring through that. So we display ourselves genuine ambassadors for Christ through what we endure. But then also he mentions about how we conduct ourselves in what we endure. Look at verse 6. By purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report as deceivers and yet true. First thing he mentions, by purity. That means cleanness or blamelessness. You know, and I think of Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, you know, a, a bishop must be blameless. A bishop would have been a pastor or an elder of the church. And that. he says, a bishop must be blameless. And, you, you know, and you think about that, does that mean perfect? No blame, there's, there's no spots, no blemishes. If that's the case, then I don't think there's a pastor on the planet that would qualify. So what is Paul referring to when he says a bishop must be blameless? Well, what I think Paul means is there's no blame that clings to me. In other words, I'm not walking in unrepentant sin. There's something that happens, man, I confess it and I repent and I turn away from it. So, you know, no pastor, no minister, none of us are perfect. But we can be blameless in the sense that nobody can assign blame to us because we've dealt with it at the cross and we're walking in that forgiveness and we're walking in repentance. So purity by knowledge. You know, we need to be students of the word of God. You can't give out what you don't have. By long-suffering, that's just another word for patience. And, you know, you think of it, suffering long. You know, you're putting up with this for over and over for a long period of time. That's what long-suffering is. By kindness, or another word you could translate that, gentleness. That's as opposed to being harsh or being unapproachable. Sometimes people, you know, they just give off this vibe that, you know, man, don't, don't approach them. They're unapproachable or critical or judgmental. You're afraid to even pour out your heart to them because, man, they're going to they're gonna just jump all over you or they're going to they're gonna tell you everything that's wrong with you. You know, I've heard this word many times, and maybe you have too, a kind word turns away wrath. You know why I hear it a lot? It's because sometimes I'm not saying kind words and I'm reminded of that, that, I, you know, hey, if you want to de-escalate things, say something kind instead of being angry. So, so that's how we endure some of these difficulties, by kindness. And then he says, by the Holy Spirit. Man, that's so critical in ministry to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. And then by sincere love. Now, what would be un insincere love? Well, it would be hypocritical, right? You don't really love the people. You're just, you know, you're, you're doing the job. Maybe, it, maybe you're getting paid or, or whatever, or you just feel like it's an obligation or whatever. Are you sincerely, do you sincerely love the people you're ministering to by sincere love? By the word of truth. Man, I tell you, there's so many false doctrines out there that we need to understand the word of truth because that's the only way that you can combat false doctrine. And there is a lot of false doctrine creeping into the church today. And so we need to rightly divide the word of God. 
And of course, then he says, by the power of God. You know, it's not by my own strength or my own resourcefulness. It's by God's power that I'm effective in ministry as an ambassador for him. And he says, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left hand. Well, what he's referring to basically in, you know, depends, I guess, if you're right or left-handed, but in one hand, you'd have your defensive weapon, a shield, you know, and the, the Bible talks about the shield of faith. There's, you, you know, we've got these defensive weapons against spiritual warfare, but we also have offensive weapons. I'm holding one in my left hand. It's the Bible, the sword of the spirit the word of truth. And so he's talking about, you know, the, the armor of righteousness, both defensive and offensive. By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report. You know, we display ourselves genuine ambassadors by how we conduct ourselves and then also in spite of external appearances. Look at verses 9 through 10. Actually, the end of verse 8 too or verse 7, no, verse 8, sorry. By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report as deceivers, and yet true. Sometimes people think we're deceiving them, and yet truthful. As unknown, and yet well-known. As dying, and behold, we live. As chastened, and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. We endure, we display ourselves genuine in how we conduct ourselves and also in spite of external appearances. As unknown, as of little reputation, not a very popular person and yet well known. Of course, he's referring to by the Lord and the host of heaven. You know, when I, when I think of that, I right away think of the seven sons of Sceva or Siva. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I don't know if you know that story. But there was this rabbi, and he had seven sons, and they had saw Paul's ministry, and Paul was, was, uh, was you know, uh, delivering people from demons. And so these guys got it in their heads. They were, maybe they had heard Paul do it or something, and so they, they thought they'd try it. So they went to this one guy that was possessed by a demon, and they, and they said, we, we adjure you, come out of him by the, by the spirit that Paul, you know, the, the spirit that Paul confesses or professes or whatever. And, and the demon basically said, hey, we know Jesus, and we know Paul, but man, who are you? <laughs> and they beat up the guys, and uh, interesting story, kind of comical actually, but. So as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live. And again, you know, we are so blessed right here in the United States not to suffer physical persecution for our faith. But there are believers that are around the world that are dying for their faith. And so again, Paul was at a risk of dying. In fact, he did die as a martyr at, at, later on in his life. And so again, this is referring to literal, but can also be dying to ourselves. We're dying to ourselves, and yet we're really living. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 17, 33, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will, or per excuse me, will preserve it. And so we can lose our life and yet gain it. As chastened and yet not killed. You know, you think about that. The father, the Bible says, and hey, Father's Day message, the father chastens the son or the daughter uh, that he loves. And sometimes, you know, you'll see a brother or sister being chastened by the Lord. Now, the world looks at that, and they think that God's judging this person, and, you know, God's going to destroy him. But 
what they don't realize is that God is actually lovingly disciplining his child who's in disobedience. And God does that. Sometimes we don't even see it that way. Sometimes we think, man, God, why are you, why are you doing this to me? The Lord and the Lord's like, man, I love you. I'm trying to correct you. And so we get disciplined sometimes as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. I tell you what, there's a lot of things in ministry that can fill us with sorrow. And I, you know, I know Paul shed many tears in ministry. And so sorrow, sorrow sometimes it, it kind of is part of the territory of, of ministering to people. But that sorrow should never rob your joy of your salvation, the joy of the Lord. Nothing should rob the, us of our joy of the Lord. So as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Now, if you think about those things, a lot of those things could discourage you, right? Uh, you know, uh, someone's causing you sorrow or sleeplessness or, uh, you know, maybe you're suffering uh, some kind of tribulation or trial or persecution or whatever, and it can get discouraging for us. But Paul here is identifying, I think, one thing in particular that I think can discourage the ambassador for Christ. And so look at verse 11. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. And I think this is one of the things that Paul says, a believer, a minister, ministry, person in ministry, an ambassador for Christ, you can get discouraged. You know, one of the key requirements for effective ministry is having an open heart, having room in your heart for others. There's a good way to test if you have an open heart. And there's a couple of questions you can ask yourself. Do you care about others or do you simply care about yourself? Is, that all you, is your, your comfort, your concern, your needs the first and foremost priority? Or do you actually care for others? Do you pray for others or are you just always praying for yourself and your needs? Do you have time for others or just simply time for yourself? Are you closed off? Um, are you closed off your heart from people? Do you allow, you know, it, it, what I'm talking about is people that are real superficial. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that they're, they're just, they never go beyond, you know, the weather or, you know, hey, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing okay. And that's all they say. They never open up and say, you know what, this is what's going on in my life. They're, they never reach beyond that point. And some people are just closed off. But being effective in ministry you have to open up your heart sometimes. You have to allow people into your life. You have to be open and transparent. Now, that doesn't mean you're always open and transparent. Hey, you know, <laughs> I'm going to share everything that's going on in my life. You don't have to always be. And sometimes people do that. They make that mistake. But the question is, are you ever open and transparent? Because there's a time and a place. There's a time and a place for that. But there are people that are never open. And so Paul was... He had poured out his life for the Corinthians. He had ministered to them and, and, and done all this stuff, and they were closed off to him. That could be discouraging. It can be very discouraging when you pour out yourself to someone, when you actually are vulnerable and open, and, then, and the people never reciprocate. It's just surface. What should you do? 
You know, David had a situation that was actually kind of worse than that. David, not, it, it, it was a story in, in uh, 1 Samuel, and he had his mighty men around him. They were hiding out at the time, and uh, uh, their families got captured and uh, were taken hostage. And David's mighty men, they were, they were angry with David and his leadership. And it wasn't that they were indifferent to him. They actually were angry with him to the point where they wanted to stone him. They wanted to kill him. They were so upset. And in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, what did David do? It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And so that's an extreme case. But when, you know, you're, you're pouring out to someone and they're not reciprocating, again, it can be discouraging. Well, what do you do? Well, you strengthen yourself in the Lord. Look at Psalm 42, 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. You know, if you're ministering to someone and your focus is them, and, you know, it's like, okay, are they going to respond? Uh, how are they responding to me? Are they going to accept the invitation to accept Christ? And, and they don't do any of that. Does that mean it's like, oh, it just devastates you? Or you just say, you know what, I'm just, <laughs> I'm doing it for you, Lord. And you, and you just, you do it. Uh, with the strength, of course, that God provides, but you do it as unto the Lord. You minister as unto the Lord. Another one, Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. God's not indifferent to us. You pour out your heart to God. He hears it. He responds. Holy Spirit ministers to us in those times. So we looked at how we display ourselves through ministry. We looked briefly at what can discourage us in ministry. And the last thing I want to address that Paul addresses here is what can distract us from ministry. Verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. I'm going to stop right there for a moment. Paul says there, do not be unequally, in verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He's taking that from Deuteronomy 22, verse 10. Deuteronomy 22, verse 10 says, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. And you know, that kind of makes kind of common sense. If you try to get an animal like a donkey and an ox on the same yoke, you're trying to plow your field, you're going to be so busy trying to get the animals to cooperate. You're going to be so busy trying to get them headed in the right direction that you're actually going to accomplish very little plowing because you're so busy focused on getting them to work together. And you and I will be distracted from our ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors if we're unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, the very first and probably most obvious uh, unequal yoking is in a marriage between a believer and an unbeliever. 
you know, so many times when I'm counseling, you know, someone wants to get married and they're, they're coming to me for counseling. And if they're, if it's an, a believer and an unbeliever, I'm like, don't do it. You're heading into trouble. But sometimes that's just a situation. Maybe a person's come to faith in the Lord after they've been married. And so now they're, now there's this unequal yoking. It happens. It happened very much in the new church, in the early church of Acts. You know, everybody was, you know, idolaters and then people started getting saved. Well, maybe sometimes their husband or their wife wouldn't be. What do you do with it? Well, in marriages being unequally yoked, it hinders serving in ministry. Why? Because you're struggling to head, you're, you're going to be struggling to try to head in the same direction because there's going to be two different worldviews. One worldview is going to be, you know, one direction and the other worldview is trying to glorify God and honor God. And you're going to spend more time trying to negotiate that and trying, you know, there's going to be a struggle with that. Now, it's not impossible to minister in those situations. I'm not saying that it's not impossible, but it is going to divide your attention. It is going to, it's going to take away, it's going to distract you from ministering if you're in that kind of a situation. So that's the first and foremost is a, is a marriage. A, a business partnership could be the same thing. You know, you, how you conduct your business, your goals in ministry or in business, you know, it's going to be, it could very well be different than the goal of your unsaved business partner. You know, basically any associations of the world that seeks to conform you to the world it can be unequally yoking, can be an unequal yoke. You know, uh, uh, recently, of course, you guys have all been hearing about the Black Lives Matter movement. And, uh, you know, uh, of course, the, 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 you know, I would say all lives matter. And of course, when you say that, certain people get very upset because they're like, no, you're, you're you know, you're not looking right at the situation and stuff. And, and you know, the thing is, I would say too, yeah, black lives do matter, of course, like all lives matter, but black lives do matter. But the thing is, if I said, if I'm like, okay, that's my statement and I'm, I'm going to put it on my posts and everything, black lives matter. Well, the thing is, I have a view of what that means, but the black lives matter movement themselves has a totally different, it means something totally different to them. And I don't want to be yoked together with that. So we have to be careful, even our associations, what we associate with. Romans 12, 2, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, when I talk about not being unequally yoked, you know, we're in the world, and, and, but we're not to be of the world. In fact, just the very nature of the ministry of reconciliation, we're ambassadors for Christ, that means you're going to be rubbing elbows with unbelievers. You're going to be talking to them. You might be developing some kind of friendships or, you know, fellowshipping in a sense, in a worldly sense, but you know what I mean. You're not, you're, you're going to be interacting with unbelievers. That's, that's the ministry of reconciliation means that you're around unbelievers. It just goes with the territory. You know, and ambassadors, by definition, they're in a foreign country. They're, they're among a people that maybe speak a different language, have different customs and different traditions, but they never forget that they're there to represent their government or their leadership or whatever. So you and I as believers, you know, it's not that we, it's like, okay, I, don't, I can't have any associations with anybody that's a believer, uh, unbeliever. I just, you know, I only go to Christian things, I only talk to Christian people. You know, that's fine, but you're not going to be doing a ministry of reconciliation. 
But Paul says there, what accord has Christ with Belial? And that word Belial, it literally means worthlessness, but it's assigned here to Satan. But I want to read verse 17 uh, and 18. Actually, let me finish verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and do not be, and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So it's kind of interesting. That word Lord Almighty... It's only used 10 times in the New Testament. It's once used here by Paul in 2 Corinthians. The rest of the time, it's only mentioned in the book of Revelation. It's kind of interesting. That word almighty, it's the Greek word pantokrator, and it means he who holds sway over all things. The Lord God Almighty, he holds, holds sway over all things. In other words, he's sovereign over everything. So if you're unequally yoked together, there's going to be a constant struggle in preventing you from being submitted entirely to the complete sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ Almighty. And that's going to distract you, your time and effort, from your role as being an ambassador of Christ. And so Paul says, you know, avoid those things. If you want to be an effective minister for the Christ's gospel, if you want to be a minister of reconciliation as an ambassador, don't let those things distract you. And I tell you, there's a lot of things that pull on you and I to distract us. And so we have to be just so careful what we associate with, who we associate with. Now, I like that ending there. Paul says, actually he's quoting, but he says, um, Therefore, verse 17, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You know, I think about that. You think about your father. And uh, for me, I had a great example of a father. I loved and I respected my father. And, and I think of how good he was as a father, and yet... God, our Heavenly Father, says, man, I want to be a father to you. And, of course, my father was not perfect. Uh, I don't think any, well, I know no, no one's father was perfect on this planet. But you think about maybe the best father that you can imagine. Our Heavenly Father is that much better. He's perfect. And God wants that relationship with us. Now, on the other side of that, maybe you had a father that was a terrible representation of a fatherhood. And, you, and maybe father is just a struggle for you because it's like, man, my dad, I just, you know. Well, maybe you have an idea in your mind, man, this is what the perfect father is. Well, our heavenly father is the perfect. Whatever you dream of a father that a father would have been or could have been or should have been, God is it. He's the heavenly father. He wants to lead you and guide you. He wants to teach you. You think about how a father's, you know, uh, they take time with their children. They, they, they raise them up. They teach them. They, they set an example. They, they, they basically put a, build a foundation for, your, for their children. That's exactly what God wants to do in our lives. But the thing is, when we allow other things in to crowd out that relationship, that makes it difficult. God's not going to compete with other idols or other things in our lives. So, so if you want that 
that beautiful relationship of his father to a son and a daughter, that's where you, you just separate yourself from that stuff and follow me. And so that's what the Lord wants to do for us this morning. I want to just go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer.